Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I created my first business, Honeycombers, when I was at the tender age of 28. And that business is a lifestyle guide to Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and now employs over 30 people across four countries. Last year, I founded a new business called Launchpad, which is a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. Launchpad has members across six countries and runs around about 30 events every month. We run masterclasses, coaching and connection calls, as well as peer group sessions. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit line together to build better businesses. What does it really take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to find out. Before I get into it, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. Okay, let's get into it. This is really fun. I'm very excited about today. Steph Dixon has been someone I've known for, gosh, it must be like eight years or nine years now. And I'm a massive fan of Steph and her work and her podcast, Live Wide Awake. I think we met back in 2014 or 15, and we met because you were organizing an event called The Wedge, and you've done a lot since then. You've done Green is the New Black, The Conscious Festival, Live Wide Awake podcast, and of course, Untamed, a network for Web3. You have been very busy. I'd love to just start with Steph. Can you just share your journey and what led you to move into, I suppose, a conscious business space? Yeah, well, Chris, first, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here chatting with you. And yeah, it's true. We've known each other for eight years now. Uh, and I think the first time I reached out to you was like, I remember sending an email being like, I'm coming in ice cold because I want you as a speaker at my event. I remember your reply because you were like, that's a really catchy email header. And I couldn't help but open your email. Normally I wouldn't open these kind of emails. So that was like how it all started for us. <laughs> Nothing like a great subject line. <laughs> But yeah, so I used to work in fashion. I used to run fashion weeks and festivals around Asia. And I really thought that was my dream job. I always wanted to work in fashion as a girl and I idolized the industry. And about four or three and a half years into working in that career, you know, my life was really like Devil Wears Prada. It was chaotic and crazy. One time I actually got flown to Paris just to carry a haute couture wedding gown back to a designer and back. I had breakfast in Paris and flew back to Singapore. You know, my life was really nuts, but I loved it. And I was young and I had the energy for it. But then I watched the documentary, The True Cost. And I went down a rabbit hole where I basically discovered for the first time and I felt completely blindsided that fashion was one of the most polluting industries in the world and most socially corrupt. And I couldn't believe that this industry I had idolized and glamorized my whole life was so dirty. And I basically couldn't not do something about it. So I decided to stop being part of the problem and pushing fast fashion and, you know, ready to wear and all these things and 
to be part of the solution instead. And so I quit my job without really knowing what I was going to do. I started The Wedge as a series of events to learn how to be an entrepreneur and how to be more conscious and create a safe space for others to learn who are maybe on a similar journey to me. And that led me to start Green is New Black, which is the conscious festival and a media platform helping people along their sustainability journeys through little green steps. So at the time, I was discovering that actually there were so many incredible brands who were doing things in a way better way. They were doing things ethically and sustainably. And I wanted to bring those brands to people because, you know, this was back in 2015. Most people were only buying really cheap stuff online or really expensive stuff online. But the in-between stuff, the ethical, the sustainable stuff, people were kind of scared still. There, There was this sort of barrier for them to actually want to buy this in-between product. And so I just wanted to create a space where people could come and discover, touch, feel, meet the people behind the brands and just realize that, oh, wow, like these products are actually really well made and sustainability can be really cool. So I started that journey uh, in 2015 and yeah, just been on it ever since. Yeah. It's a pretty impressive journey you've been on. You've really carved your own path and created, I suppose, I suppose a voice in a space that was voiceless. Uh, You know, you were very early in the conscious space. Let's jump to the Conscious Festival. I mean, you've hosted, I think this is right, over 500 speakers and had 30,000 attendees. You've done it in Hong Kong, London and Paris. Seems like a massive undertaking and, and actually quite a difficult business to run, to be honest. Like I think about what you've done and go, oh my God, just the logistics. So what has been your learnings from running the Conscious Festival? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a whirlwind over the last eight years. I guess it helps that I had an events background. And for me, that was a skill set that I had and I could uh, use to try and create something within sustainability. But yeah, it's definitely not been an easy run. So I guess some of the biggest things that I learned is really, I guess when it comes down to it, it's more just like how to operate without losing yourself entirely. You know, I know we'll talk about mental health later, but I think being an entrepreneur and being a young entrepreneur, I started when I was like 25. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what way was up and I was just passionate and just wanted to try and change the conversation and to support people on their journeys because I felt really lost when I first fell into sustainability in that conversation. So I just wanted to figure things out, but it was, it was very difficult. And I think I made a lot of mistakes over the way, but I guess that's how you learn. So a few things like that come to mind is one, just focus. I think we tried to do way too many things at once. And I think actually just honing in on our skills and doing what we do best just makes it way easier and and way more of a successful business. So during COVID, we actually leaned down, we got rid of half of most of our products. And I just said, okay, there's only two things we're going to focus on moving forward. And that's the festival and the media platform and everything else doesn't really make sense unless it's partnerships. But yeah, we were just doing way too many different things. So I think focus is a huge part and you can build and have different products, but I think you have to get one right first. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned very difficult. (laughs) Another thing is how important investment in your personal development is if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to actually enjoy your life and not get completely pulled down into the anxiety and the heaviness of it. So for me, that really meant, again, learning the hard way, multiple burnouts, burnout on burnout. You know, it was a really difficult time and just 
caring so much, insomnia, like all of the things. And so just learning that that's not the right way to live and you just care less and you refocus and find joy in the journey and do things that actually light you up instead of deteriorate you. These are all tough lessons that I had to learn the hard way. But now, yeah, I feel like eight years in, <laughs> I've got a fresh new energy after kind of resting and focusing on getting better in the last couple of years. And now I feel more creative and I'm able to do things in a very different way. And I think the other thing is we feel like we have to go so fast. You know, we live in such a fast paced world, but actually going a little slower and a little more intentionally is so much better and so much more enjoyable. And I always reminded myself for the last few years that I always get stuff done at the perfect time. And so even when I felt really stressed, I just reminded myself, like, it's fine. I always get stuff done at the perfect timing. And that also helped me to get through some of the really intense, stressful days. Oh, I love that so much. And that's just a little bit of trust in the universe too, right? A trust that what will be will be and you can only do as much as you can do. And actually, you're right, doing too much is a problem. So what have been the biggest sources of your learning? I love the way you talk about investing in yourself as an entrepreneur. Where have you learned the most from? Yeah, it's been different over the course of the journey. In the very beginning, I very early on, I discovered Marie Forleo. I'm not sure if everyone knows her, but I highly recommend checking her out. She's incredible. She's a very fun, lively entrepreneur that just wants to help other largely female entrepreneurs to find their brilliance and to realize that the world needs the gift that they have. And a few things that she said that I really honed in on very early on. And one of them is everything is figure outable. This one took me years to implement and I'm still working on it sometimes, but it's just the concept that there's always a solution. And actually, if you look back on your life, even when you were going through hardships, like you realize you figured it out and there was always a solution. So I love that everything is figure outable. That was one big thing. And the other really big one, it's basically about you won't get clarity in your thoughts. You only get clarity through action. And so that I discovered in my first like three months. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to figure this out because I'm a massive overthinker by just sitting here analyzing, brainstorming. I actually got to just try stuff. And so that was a really big thing in the beginning. So she helped me a lot in the early years. And then, then I kind of fell into a lot of burnout and difficulties. And then I kind of put my mental health and, and my learnings aside, and then I had to come back to it again. So the last couple of years have been very much about that and just been through a journey of looking at different types of sources. I think you, you find the sources you need at the time that you need it, and it evolves and changes when you're kind of wanting to grow and learn more. So I've definitely been through a few different types of therapies and working with different teachers but the two things that helped me the most would be somatic healing, which was coupled with breath work. That was game changing for me because we hold so and store so much emotion in our bodies from over the years. And this type of work allowed me to go deep into my past. And it's, it's like you do this sort of movement and breath work with therapy. It's really hard to explain, but it was really game changing. And I did that for a year and it helped me to just unlock as a child, what the things were that the patterns that I had developed as a child that were keeping me stuck today. So I was able to unlock all of those and basically start building a way more solid foundation, which allowed me to then 
be open to seeing other ways of doing business and seeing other ways of living and choosing to, to show up in a different way. And so that really built a new foundation for me. And right now I'm doing non-duality work, which is fascinating and very difficult to master. It's definitely a practice, but it's basically trying to sit in the seat of the witness and to witness what's happening in your body and to witness how you're reacting, but not to get lost and torn down into it, which was a habit that I had for multiple years, probably my whole life until I realized that's what I was doing. And so being able to have this space and distance and realizing that there is this vast space behind us that we can sit in that is timeless and spaceless and that we're able to just be this witness it's pretty magical. So less about like how to be an entrepreneur, more about how to be a good human and not like ruin your life with your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting because I think being an entrepreneur is a real mind game. It is one of the hardest things you can do. And it's a really great way to challenge yourself inside and out and really grow. I get that, that it's bigger than just being an entrepreneur, it's really about figuring out how you can be the best version of yourself and have impact and not break down in the process. I love the way you share so openly about burnout and mental health. It's really refreshing how much mental health has come into the spotlight, which has been great. And I I suppose I've got thousands of questions around this, but one of the big questions for me is when you are a high functioning person that suffers from depression and anxiety, how do you cope with people judging you for the fact that you are still high functioning? Do you ever get comments like that? I don't think people normally outrightly say that to you. Although I did go through a very, very difficult time during 2020 Obviously, most of us did. You know, I definitely was not special or unique, but I had burnout and then we had to let go of all of our full-time staff. It was it was just a really, really tough, tough time for us. Uh, and I was having a lot of difficulties with the relationship in my life and obviously being trapped in Singapore away from family. Family was always a refuge for me. And, uh, you know, my mom's like a holistic energy healer. So I always love having my time with her because she helps me to heal in between. But I hadn't seen her for such a long time. And I basically had an emotional breakdown. And my two closest friends at the time here in Singapore didn't get it. And even though they saw me breaking down, they actually didn't understand the depth of the darkness that I was going through. And that was really hard because I even wrote an email and I explained everything and I felt like, am I just screaming into the void? Like, I don't know, what else am I supposed to do right now? Like, and it was really difficult to navigate because you think, you know, your closest friends are the ones that should actually be able to understand and, and witness what it is. But I think it was such a hard time for everybody that, it didn't land. And so we had to heal a lot um, as friends from that, but it was a beautiful process of learning. And now we're stronger than ever. But I think that was the most difficult thing that I had to face because people just really don't understand. And because I was high functioning, I was still operating and I was still doing a lot of things. People just don't realize, you know, and that's, I think some of the scary sides of, of mental health. And even when I went back to my family, you know, I remember, 
my mom's, one of my mom's best friends saying to her, like, what's wrong with Steph? She's like, what do you mean? She's like, well, she's physically here, but there she's dead behind her eyes. I've never seen her looking like this. Like she's not here. Like, where is she? And that was quite scary because I also didn't even realize how bad it was until it got reflected back to me as well. And so I think sometimes it is difficult and in some aspects, it's good that we have people that realize. And in other aspects, when, when no one notices or, or it's, you know, you really do feel even more alone. So it's not an easy thing. Yeah, it's not an easy path, but I suppose it's a common one. I appreciate your candor. And yeah, I mean, it is quite confronting to hear that you're dead behind your eyes. So I can imagine in some ways it's, it's nice because they're actually recognizing and seeing what's happening and otherwise that is very really full-on to have someone reflect that back to you yeah but I think it it was a trigger point for me to change because I didn't realize how bad it was I mean I I was like oh it's COVID and I'm you know just struggling with life in general but then to physically look like that I was like oh okay no this is really bad and then I had to sort of rebuild from there so sometimes it's good to have that reflected back so that you because for me, it motivated me to be like, I don't want to be like this anymore. Amazing. This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to the launchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. And I want to mention, congratulations, about to become a mum. This is a very big step for many people, but knowing you as a friend, I know this is a big step for you. How does business look like with a baby as an entrepreneur? Like, how do you expect the next 12 months to roll out? Oh my God, I've spent so much time thinking about this (laughs) because it took me, as you know, a long time to decide that, okay, yes, actually, I want to bring a child into this crazy world that we're living in. And uh, yeah, I also have my company. And so I'm actually quite excited to see how it is. I'm working on not getting overwhelmed or scaring myself. But yeah, I'm kind of excited to see where it lands because I really did shift a lot in my mentality of how I operate with my business and how I'm working in the last year in particular, 18 months. And so I think that prepared me to be like, okay, I know it's going to be a really tough journey into motherhood. Everyone talks about how crazy the fourth trimester is and your whole life gets flipped upside down, but it's also magical at the same time. But yeah, I'm excited to see what new things this unlocks for me in a way, you know, I have a little girl on the way. So is she going to motivate me more to go even further with my sustainability work? Or is she going to unlock new avenues for me to explore? Or I I don't know, I'm kind of just, I feel like it's a bit of an adventure and it's one I'm really looking forward to doing and juggling, I guess, of course, you know, I want to be a working mom. That is something that I strive to, to figure out. And there's so many incredible women around me, yourself included, that are great role models models for that. So I'll definitely be asking you (laughs) how you do it. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the challenge in a different way and just figuring out how to have amazing, deep connection with her while also deepening my connection with myself and and with my work. Lovely. It is a journey and I think you're going to be an amazing mum. So you've got the Conscious Festival coming up in July. Did you say baby in June? Festival in July? Yes. 
<laughs> oh, big year. And you're also busy working with your new community, Untamed. How are you splitting your time? How do you manage to juggle all of this? So with Untamed, that's kind of what I do in my downtime. After COP in Glasgow, which is the country of parties where all the governments get together, I kind of fell into a bit of an eco-anxiety bout because I realized that, okay, all the governments are just trying to backtrack on their commitments from 2015, from the Paris Agreement. And so I fell into a little bit of like, ah, what are we doing? And what am I doing? And is there any point? But then when I went to the World Economic Forum in Davos, I kind of discovered a lot of incredible people who were using Web3 technologies to solve some of the sustainability problems. And they were just having so much fun and just really operating from a place of joy. And that was a commitment I'd made. I want to operate work-wise from a place of joy too. And I went down the Web3 spiral, learned a lot and got excited about how blockchain can actually solve for some of the problems that we're, we're seeing in the world and for both sustainability and social impact. I reconnected with Grace Clapham, who is an amazing entrepreneur and now works at Meta. And she started talking about this community she wanted to form for women in Web3 so they didn't get left behind. And I said, oh, I'm all over this. Like, so about six of us came together and we started this community and it was really important to me that it had an impact layer. And so a lot of the events that we do and the conversations we're having is around how this tech can be used for impact and how entrepreneurs and amazing humans are, are using this to change how things are done. And so, yeah, it's uh, something that I, I love doing. It's something I'm passionate about and I find the time because you know, I watch a lot less Netflix than I used to, <laughs> which is a good thing for multiple reasons. And I just, you know, get up earlier and I just manage different parts of my life so that I can do the things that light me up and give me joy. And I just make time for it because it's really fun. And I love learning about this space and meeting the people in it because they're really welcoming. They're really smart and they're trying to change things. And I love that. Yeah. Can you share with us some examples of these entrepreneurs using blockchain and Web3 that are having impact? Yeah. So there's a couple of really great case studies that actually already exist. So one of them is Plastic Bank. They basically use blockchain both on Web2 technology, so using apps and, and you know smartphones to get trash pickers from around Asia to actually take photos of the trash that they're taking. And then that gets put on the blockchain and it's fully traceable and transparent because they're helping companies to do plastic offsetting. So I know carbon offsetting is a very touchy subject, especially everything that's been in the media recently, but there are people that have seen all the issues with that industry and are trying to do things better for plastic offsetting, for example. And not only is this helping to employ people in Southeast Asia and around, it's also having this full transparency and traceability. And so companies can actually see how much trash was collected, where it was collected from. They can also start to monitor where some of these big trash pockets are on the coast. And so there's just so many different layers to that, which I think is really interesting. And there's a couple of companies that are doing the same thing for supply chain. So seed to table or seed to store, basically, where they can now use blockchain technology to track every single thing that happens along the way and have that full transparency. So while this is still sort of in its testing phases, this has huge implications for like the fashion industry, for example, where it is very socially corrupt. It's very murky. No one really knows where their clothes are coming from and how they're made and how people were treated along the way. But if we can implement some of this transparency along the way, then 
it's just going to help everyone along the supply chain and customers and brands to have to do better. So these are the kind of examples that I get really excited about. But there's so many other ones as well. You know, there's one from Hong Kong. It's called Oceaverse. And they're basically working with water and ocean-themed artists around the world. And they're selling NFTs and artwork to raise funds to protect coral and different reef systems in Asia for now. And they're using that through both art and then there's the NFT collectible. And then they're moving that money and the people who own the art get to vote on where the money goes and then they're protecting reefs and I guess the bigger vision and plan is to protect the whole ocean but it's kind of these ideas that are just really creative and they kind of get me excited for where conservation and transparency of money and impact can really go. Mm. I'm an avid listener to your podcast, Live Wide Awake, and I remember one interview in particular really stands out to me, and that was with Mo Godwan, and he talked a lot about his personal story, but then he talks also about the power of AI and the future with AI and how we actually, (laughs) he said, we actually don't need to be really concerned about climate change because AI will solve the climate change problem, but the problem we should be more concerned about is the speed of AI and the losing control of technology. I love these big ideas and these big thoughts. And I'm just wondering, firstly, when you have such big concepts that come into your life through your podcast, does it sometimes have a negative impact on your path in that can you get so shaken by these concepts and these theories that it derails you? I don't feel like I've ever been derailed. I think it's more... I love the expansion of these types of conversations and how much it makes you think. So you're like, okay, wow, this is crazy, but also so fascinating at the same time. And so I think it's more just, it activates more thirst for learning and knowledge. So with Mo, I mean, yeah, his book, Scary Smart, that's everything that he was speaking about was eye-opening and his story is just so crazy as well. I mean, his whole journey like his first book, writing like a formula for happiness, which was inspired by his late son who died from very preventable complications. And you just hear this, this incredible journey he's been on and then how smart he's been in running, you know, like Google X basically. Uh, and then his views on, on these types of things. I mean, I'm just so blown away by these types of people that I get to speak to. And it's more just a state of awe and then a thirst for learning and knowledge afterwards. I don't think any of them have derailed me. I think it's more just you adopt and take certain things from certain people and then you leave some stuff that doesn't sit with you. So I think it's more that. It's like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, that's an interesting side and I think that would help people, but it doesn't serve me. So I will like leave that, you know, and I'll focus on other things that they said instead. And besides the personal learning, what do you think as an entrepreneur podcasting has brought to you outside of the learning? What's been the value? It's just a fun thing that I do. So I started my podcast when I was in lockdown in Sydney. After I'd had that emotional breakdown I mentioned, I managed to try and get myself into Australia and had to do quarantine. And it was my quarantine project. (laughs) So I had to give myself something to do. And I was like, okay, by these two weeks, I'm going to launch my podcast. And so for me, it was something I'd want to do for a very long time. And I just love interviewing people. So I don't know if it's really done much for business. It's more just 
just something I do for fun for me personally. I know a lot of people run podcasts as businesses, but I just do it because I love interviewing people and it's my favorite part of my job. And so getting access to interesting people and getting to dissect and share their stories and their learnings and learning myself, like it's joy. That's just a joyful thing that I get to do as part of my weekly routine. And so I don't really approach it as like a business sense. I think it's more I get to access interesting people and I get to share, you know, some friends and people I want to help to like get their message out there more. So it's more a tool for, I guess, spreading awareness on different topics, less about a business drive. Cause you know, I mean, I have a sound partner, but I don't have any sponsors or anything like that. I'm just, it's just fun for me. Mm, cool. And you talked a lot about how COP3 sent you into a bit of a spiral and then, you know, your trip to the World Economic Forum in Davos actually helped pull you out of that spiral. I'd love your thoughts on how important it is to kind of put yourself into these environments and these events and how does it help you as a person? Yeah, I think it depends on the kind of person you are. I, One of the things I love most about life is meeting interesting people. For me, it's like I also discovered, and this is, I guess, more on the ego side, but I like to do interesting things because it allows me to meet interesting people. (laughs) So going to something like Davos and going to all of the fringe and satellite events and meeting all these inspiring humans, like it really did get me out of the funk because I realized, okay, wow, there's this whole subset of people that are just using tech and solving problems and having a lot of fun with it. And they're just really high level and and fascinating people. Like I had such great conversations that week and it really inspired me and it gave me a new lease for life. And I think that was beneficial for me. And there are lots of, not all events are able to do that, but for me, I, I got a lot out of that experience. But I think there are other ways to do that as well, you know, even just locally joining different communities and trying to find a group that activates something in you that makes you want to do more. So I would say, yeah, going to the right kind of events that work for you, it definitely helps. It definitely helps to re-inspire you, to re-engage you. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of crap out there. (laughs) So many events and now even like post-COVID, it's just like, on revenge, you know? And so you, you have to filter because otherwise sometimes it's just a waste of time. So it really can go both ways. And I think that's the difficulty to navigate. But I think whatever it is, putting yourself in a situation where you can expand your mind and you kind of get, I guess your breath gets taken away or you're just, you're shocked or you learn something new or you have this delight element, anything that gives you that, definitely do more of yeah, lean into and listen to yourself. But And what's your filter to determine whether something's going to be worth your time and bring you to meet inspiring people? Like when you're looking at an event, what are some of the red flags? Um, oh, that's a really good question. I think I speak to people. If like most of the time, if I've had friends that I know like the same type of experience that I do and they're like, oh, it's incredible, you have to come. I mean, I guess word of mouth and just having that peer review is really important. I'm always happy to experience and try different events and then just find the ones that work. And then, you know, when you look at a lineup with topics and the types of speakers that they have, normally I can tell if I want to be there or not. If it's like super corporate and very sponsor driven, it's not going to expand and enlighten me. If it's something that has more creative people with creative titles and it's all about consciousness or they're talking about new technologies and frontiers. And yeah, I'm going to be fascinated. I know that's going to draw the kind of people I want to be speaking to. 
So I think just looking at programming, sponsors, branding, all of these things, I think it's all just little touch points of like, is this the kind of place that I want to be in? Is this the kind of people, is this going to attract the people that I know I love to be around and I'm going to walk away being like, wow, that was so energizing. Or am I going to walk away being like, oh, that was just so draining. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And Steph, you're a very brave, confident person. I'm sure you've worked to become that person. I mean, even when you reached out to me, cold email, just like, hey, I want you to do this for me. Have you ever had limiting beliefs or imposter syndrome that you've had to work through? Or do you feel like you've kind of grown up with this innate sense of, I can do that. I can reach out and there's not much fear that holds you back. Oh my God, I've had so much imposter syndrome. That's also what led to so much anxiety in the early days of my entrepreneur journey. So I was like, who the hell do I think I am pulling this off, trying to do this stuff? But there was also, you know, it was like 50-50 split. The one side is just like, what are you doing? Like, you're not good enough to do this. And that causes so much anxiety. And then the other half is like, no, I can do this. I got this. And it's just like a constant battle inside. So, and I think, again, it for me, it just came back to that, phrase that just stuck with me. It's like, I'm not going to get clear by just sitting here staring or thinking like I have to take action. So I've always been like a very kind of gung-ho action-driven person that's had a lot of anxiety. that has been riddled with anxiety. And so it's been a, a fine balance to learn that, but I've always had the confidence, you know, I think, I don't know if that's just being an eldest child, having to move around a lot, meeting a lot of people, and then also being like a Leo and a dragon, like I have a lot of fire in me for those that believe in that kind of thing. And so there's the fire and then there's, you know, the the voice that comes in, but just learning to like tame that voice and, and do other things instead and just get over it. You know, I think also growing up is great. Doing the work and growing up, because I did actually have this conversation with a friend the other day. I was like, it's just so nice to grow up. I'm loving my 30s. Like, you know, I'm just like, I just feel more mature. I just feel like we've got more of my shit together. And she was like, yeah, but Steph, not everyone grows up. Like, you've done the work. You've done the work and grown up. And I was like, okay, that's true. I've done the work. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. Well, I got to say, I could keep asking you a thousand questions, but I want to just ask you some quick rapid fire questions to round out the interview. Now you've mentioned a few mantras, but do you have one business mantra that you keep coming back to? I think the one that has got me through the last few years, obviously I shared the ones that helped me in the early years, but the one that got me through the last probably two years was to follow what lights me up. So that's just a guiding principle. I like that. That really makes a lot of sense and helps a lot. Change is the only constant in the business and in the world right now. What do you think entrepreneurs should be focused on? I think that there is no better time and no excuse left to not be solving a world problem right now. There are so many funds out there. There are so many ways to get money. And yes, I understand it is a difficult time to be fundraising right now, but there are opportunities to solve for the world problem and make money and have joy in your life. And I just don't think there's any reason not to be doing that anymore. When I say solving world problems, I mean both socially and environmentally. Yeah, beautiful. And if there was another industry that you would go into outside of media and events, what would it be? Right now, it would be Web3 and blockchain. If I was to do something full-time, I would, it's just so fascinating to, to explore that. So I would love to go into there and really figure out a way to amplify this technology's good uses. 
because if we can onboard people to understand the good with this tech and that's how they learn about it, that's how they're going to create in it. And I think that's, yeah, a big thing that I, I'm passionate about right now. Mm, beautiful. Tell me, do you have a business collaboration or partnership that has really propelled you forward? There's just been so many. I've been really lucky and fortunate to just have so many people that I've collaborated with over the years. And I think doing the nature of the work that I do, it's all built on collaboration and community. So being very grateful that people gravitate towards that. We're able to support people and people support back. So I think there's not one in particular. I think there's just been so many over the eight years. Yeah, nice. And then finally at Launchpad, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. You probably know a ton of entrepreneurs that are creating good businesses, but if you'd have to recommend one to come on to my podcast, who would it be? I would probably say Stephanie Cressman. She is a dear friend of mine and she's also really shaking up the fashion industry. She's disrupting it from within and she's basically created this technology. It's called Reflaunt and they help big brands to use different tech to track their products, but to be able to resell them. So hopefully tackling the huge overconsumption problem that we are facing and actually allow customers to get used to having pre-loved and secondhand items and that being something that becomes normal. So she's starting to normalize that through tech, working with huge luxury brands in Europe. And I just think it's fantastic. Awesome. Yes, I have been following Steph and I would love to have her on the podcast. Thank you so much, Steph. As I said, I could honestly spend hours interviewing you. There's so much to touch on. I think what you've done and your path has just been fascinating and a delight to kind of crawl into your mind and ask you some questions. So thank you. Thank you so much for all the awesome questions and for having me. You're so welcome. What an epic episode there with Steph Dixon. Three of my takeaways. Firstly, how to operate without losing yourself entirely. I think Steph spoke a lot about how you need to be able to, as an entrepreneur, go all in, but just be careful about keeping in mind what you're doing and why you're doing it. Secondly, I loved the way she talked through her journey about really trying to come back to having a really clear focus and not trying to do too much too quickly. And I think that was something that she spoke about during her eight years so far of running the Conscious Festival and how with COVID, it really gave her an opportunity to kind of step back and go a bit more slowly and more intentionally, which is often a better way to go. And then the third big piece for me is really finding joy in the journey and making sure that you're doing things that light you up. And also that actually attending events like big events or small events can actually just shift your circles and your mindset. But she was always just talking about operating from this place of joy. Ah, Steph, I absolutely loved, loved, loved that episode with you. Thank you very much. And I hope everyone who's listening feels as inspired as I am by your story and your journey. So thank you and inspired to create their own good business. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth so I could go deep with entrepreneurs that truly inspire me. Of course, I also wanted a wider listenership to think about having impact 
and our wonderful community at Launchpad, where we're all aspiring to create better businesses together. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to leave a review or perhaps share this podcast episode with a friend. That's how podcast episodes get discovered. And I would love more entrepreneurs to think more deeply about their business and about creating a heart-led business with a bigger impact than just profit. And I'm sure you would too. So go ahead and post something on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and spread the word. I will be forever grateful. Thanks again for listening. And I hope that you feel as inspired as I am to create your own good business.